0: And welcome to another episode of Women in Leadership podcast brought to you by the Influence Alliance, the business builder community for coaches and consultants who want to build a profitable and scalable business they love. And I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cross. Now, my guest today says our company stands out because we don't just say employees are number one, we mean it. And joining me on today's show is Kirsten Denza. Now, Kristen, she's the CEO and founder of Tiara Encantada. Now, Tiara Encantada is the leader in Spanish immersion early education and provides care for children ages six weeks right through to six years of age. They have high quality education and they use a proprietary language emergent curriculum focused on teaching a respect for diversity and includes fresh cooked organic meals designed to expand young children's palates. Love that. Now in 2013, while searching for quality early education for her young child, she founded Tierra Encantada's first location in Egan, Minnesota. Now in spring of 2019, she launched Tiara and Cantata's franchising expansion to provide access to language immersion education to families across the country. And today, they have five locations in Minnesota, or maybe it's Minnesota, I think, almost a dozen franchise centres and site development and over 100 full-time employees. I love that. Now, on today's show, Kristen's going to share that knowledge is power. No person or company is perfect, so always striving for improvement is critical she says as well as no one can ever prepare you for the emotional roller coaster ride that embodies entrepreneurship welcome to the show thank you thank you so much for having me i loved that story and and i love how you're going to talk about be prepared for the emotional roller coaster but, you know, from an idea that came because there was a need, you saw a need because of your own child, to now having a franchise business model and, you know, amazing, and 100 employees, just amazing. What would you say going back? Let's start with this question. What has, because hindsight is a wonderful teacher, what would be one hindsight, something that you now, as the CEO of your business now, would share with yourself yourself to the Kristen that was just starting this on her journey?
1: That's a great question. Um, I think what I would say is do a much better job of taking the time to document everything, processes, even basic steps of why we respond to an email the, the way we do, because you know once you once you get a couple of years down the road it's so hard to try to tackle that all at once versus just doing it as it comes up so that would definitely be something i would do differently
0: wow and what a brilliant uh insight to share with others no and it's, and i think it's no matter what growth stage you are at your business or in in your business document your processes and systems because what we don't document mm-hmm processes we can't monitor and tweak and and change and we certainly can't bring on new team members and of course your company now has 100 full-time employees which is fabulous now you talk about knowledge being power how did that show up for you and how do we keep that in mind as we're
1: building our businesses even in corporate I think this is relevant too yeah you know so knowledge is power for me I, I've always been uh very, I guess, resourceful person. And so I want to understand the why behind things. And so a great example of this is, you know, when we'd have like an inspector come to one of our projects and they would say, you know, oh, you've got to change this. So, I mean, so this actually happened last year with our Hiawatha project. They said that we needed to change something with the stormwater runoff. And it was like a $30,000 change. And I was just like, what, like you approve these plans. And so then I researched the, the code And then contested it and won so we didn't have to do it. But if I would have not actually read the code myself and, you know, like searched for the code, read it, researched it and made sure I understand it, I wouldn't have been able to make a valid and strong argument and then would have had to pay that. And so I think making sure that, you know, that is really important, especially in entrepreneurship.
0: Yeah, what I love about that too is it reminds us of the importance. Not on something is to know to ask the right questions. I think one of my guests uh, mentioned this as well. It's so important, isn't it? We can often just assume something true, or oh well, that's just the way it's always done. But asking that, well, why? Can you show me why? Gives you that knowledge that is power. But also, I think the mindset and the permission that no matter what happens in your business, unless you're asking those
1: questions. Who else is going to ask them? Yes. Oh, exactly. I mean, licensing and inspections. I mean, anytime that we're told that we need to do something, I'm always wondering, Okay, so where in statute does it say this? You know, where in the building code does it say this? Because I want to understand what the code says so that I make sure next time this is captured. And if the code doesn't say that, then I want to understand why we're being asked to do something that isn't in, in, in the code or in the statute.
0: Yeah. Something that um, I'm sure you can give some beautiful insight and also hindsight as well is not only starting a business, that was not you know not maybe not even in in development. maybe there were no other businesses, as we mentioned in uh, the introduction. Your company, Tiara and Quintata is the leader in Spanish immersion early education. At the time, because there was obviously a need, were there other providers? why I'm asking this question is there may be someone who's listening and watching that is currently looking for a solution and she's going, man, there is nothing there. That's because she is going to create that. So for you, take us back to that moment. Was, it, was there a need? Was there a, a gap in the marketplace? What
1: was that for you? Yes, absolutely. I mean, there was definitely a gap. Um, you know, all of the businesses that I've started have been because of a need I saw in my own life and a gap I saw. And so for the daycare, I, I had moved to the east side of the Twin Cities. I was looking at, at childcare centers. And You know, I wanted more than just just a daycare, you know, more than just a babysitter. If I'm going to spend this much money you know, thousands of dollars a month, I wanted it to me to feel like it was something that was like as good as maybe they get home. Nothing's going to be as good, but as close as possible. And so the closest that was, you know, even considerable for me was there is a a Montessori that had like a chicken coop and it was a really cool program, but they had like a, a year long wait list. And so, I mean, I I could see the demand for childcare. I mean, when I toured centers and looked at them and the demand and the waitlist that existed for centers that just weren't really having any value add. I mean, it literally was a babysitter. I remember touring one and it said cheese sandwich, didn't say grilled cheese. It said cheese sandwich. That was their lunch. And it was just like, man, you know, I mean, if I'm going to work all day, like I, I would like them to get something better than a cheese sandwich for lunch, especially when you're paying thousands of dollars a month. And so that really formed my you know idea of like okay you know what this is something I can do and I think it was easier because I' had started other businesses but it was like you know I can do this I see this gap I'm gonna do it yeah yeah well what were the,
0: what was the next step that you took after that because let's unpack this so did you go and do further research what 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 mm-hmm. was the next step you took
1: yes so whenever I am considering starting a business uh, one of the first things I always do is cash flow projections and so I'll look at Okay, you know, what does this look like when it is full or at the, you know, the goal capacity? What does it take to actually make money? What does that look like? And that helps me decide, like, okay, yeah, this is a good idea or, you know, maybe this isn't as worth it. And so from that, that's when I, I guess, start doing more research into the market. But the first step I like to do is just the projections because I want to understand what that financials look like.
0: Yeah. And for people who, because, one of the things that I have found to be true when it comes to women, I'm not saying this is all women and I don't want to generalize, but a lot of times one of the things that women shy away from anything to do with money. So when you say financial projections, great. I mean, you've got to know that what your business idea has got legs. So what are some of the key factors when you're looking at this, the numbers that you really are, are going to drive the decision towards yes or no? What were some of those figures that you yeah, looked so
1: at Definitely break-even. So break-even analysis is the lowest number of revenue I guess the lowest amount of revenue to break even so to actually not lose money you know to cover the overhead and whatever you know sort of quantities you have at that point that have costs involved and so that's you know obviously the first one because that tells me how long it will take I mean so you know with daycares it you know it was maybe 30 to 50 depending on the size of the daycare so it's like okay 30 to 50 kids I mean there's 2,000 within one mile. I mean, that seems very attainable. And so once I have that, then looking at okay, what are these fixed costs that I'm going to have to cover no matter what? You know, yeah. what are typical rents? You know, construction costs. What does the loan t- like time frame look at for the loan payments? And so those are some of the big factors because those are things that you know are large costs that have to be covered. Payroll, you know, is variable based on enrollment, but those are things that are fixed that you're going to have. To Pay. And so those are some of the big factors that I look at.
0: Yeah, brilliant. And because your uh, business model in, in corporates, there has to be a physical presence. One of the decisions that I'm sure that you had to make too, was deciding well, where is this location going to be? So some of the research I would imagine, uh, is there a location that is closer to young families and, and things like that? Is that something that you considered as well?
1: Yes, yeah. So uh, once I was like, okay, yes, this is something that would achieve margins that was worth the time I guess it would take to explore this, then I started looking at sites and you know, for the first location, I I had no idea what <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. And so I I had it in my mind that I had to find a location that already had been a daycare. I don't know why I thought that I did though. I ended up Carrying down everything in the space and redoing it, so it was not worth the time. But uh, that location took a lot longer to, you know, break even and be profitable. And I've learned how important that location piece is, especially for like the type of business that I have, because most families are looking for care that are within, you know, one to three miles, five miles, maybe of their home. And then the demographics is very important, too, because, you know, not everyone is interested in Spanish immersion. I mean, when I had the first one, I actually had people comment on my Facebook ads. This is America. We speak English here, you know. What I mean, so it's just mm. looking in for the demographics and location is very important. Yeah, I love that, and I'm sure. And, and
0: uh, as we mentioned in the introduction that that was your first one, but in the introduction you said you now have five. Corporations, and now it's actually a franchise model, and and this all really beautifully sits under the banner of knowledge is power. Because I'm sure what you learned when you developed the first location that informed you as to the second location, and I'm sure you learned things from that that you implemented to the point that you get you get to a stage. And one of the insights, the hindsight, was document everything. You've probably now got a folder that's got all of your systems, everything in that, and it's probably something that you can. Continue to tweak along the way as well for future projects yes
1: oh yes yeah we <laughs> we I mean I think our, our admin for the center leader manual is over 300 pages I mean yeah there's so much documentation now but I mean it's important to make sure that everything is to the standard that you'd want I mean because we're, we're caring for the most important thing in people's lives their kids and so you know there's a, a different level or threshold of importance to that. And so we, yeah, we have documentation for everything. Yeah. I mean, I'm
0: just so, so impressed. I, re- I really am. I just, you know, congratulations because with your business, unlike many of the businesses, I mean, every business has its challenges and, and you know, some of those, sometimes challenges are great because it stretches us, doesn't it, as leaders. And um, we often are reminded that, and this is beautifully what you say, no person or company is perfect, so always strive for improvement. This is critical. But the fact that when you look at your business model, and not only are you providing a service, but there are You know, location restraints. I'm sure we call them local government here in Australia. Not sure what you call them, but local government requirements, rules. There's rules and regulations with children. The fact that you feed children. I mean, here, there's probably a list as long as your arm on certain foods and, you know, all of the things to do with children being able to eat, you know, allergies and things like that. I'm sure there's a million moving parts when it comes to your business. Yes.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah. See, I, you know, the kitchen, that's a thats a funny thing. So we have commercial kitchens at every single location with cooks. And it's, it's really been helpful because we are able to accommodate a lot more special food needs. You know, we yeah. have a lot of kids with special food needs. But there's a lot that goes into that because, you know, we have health inspections, we have the licensing, we have to have certified food safety managers. But that's- it gives it gives us total control over the recipes, which enables us to have the things like quinoa with avocado or couscous with tofu where we have really healthy, good meals because we're making them.
0: Brilliant. So what gave you the idea then of, because you, you obviously opened one location and then you opened a, a number. Were those second and, and further locations or a balance of those, the franchisee model? I mean, what what kind of happened that had you think been- you can create almost like a franchisee out of this.
1: Yeah. So going from one to two, there was a bit of time and about three years between when I opened my first and second, and that was really kind of figuring out how to do it better, so that I didn't end up in the situation I was in with Egan, where it took so long, you know, a year to be profitable. And so with the second location, you know, big piece of that was location. So you know, picked a much better spot that had the density, the population density and the demographics. But then the other piece of that is how to market it better. Because that first one, I had no idea. I did mailers. I had flyers in a grocery store. I mean, I did literally everything you could think of to try to market it. So the second one, I, I had kind of figured out the best way at that point. And the second one, I mean, that one was basically since that first one, everyone we've opened has been profitable since when I opened it. And that second one, I mean, it took like six months maybe to fill it with a wait list. I mean, so those lessons learned really helped as we expanded more and more because we just got better and better at marketing and picking locations so that we could fill them much faster so that we would have the capital to go on to the next. Yeah. Such an
0: entrepreneur um, you know, move, isn't it? It's like, It's almost like when you have children, you have your first one and and during the childhood, I'm never going to go through this again. But somehow, I don't know, that memory cell just shuts off. But in your instance, you had, you know, the first one, you said it took a little bit of time and there were things that you hadn't foreseen and yet you then went and opened another one and then another one and then another one and so on. So, So let me ask you this question because as you're sharing that, you mentioned that this was not, I assume,
1: not your first business. So you've got other businesses. Uh, not anymore. I sold them. So I, uh, I, my first, I guess, foray into entrepreneurship was consulting, like program evaluation, things like that. But then I opened uh, event rental company, and so like chairs, table linens, floral design for you know weddings and nonprofit events. Yes. And that I had for um, 2008 to 2016, so eight years. I uh, grew it to almost 500 events a year, and then sold it because I was just—it was too much. Oh, I didn't want to do it.
0: <laughs> my question is—is this—is did you grow up? with your family entrepreneurial, or how that gene is obviously you're born that gene. I mean, entrepreneurship—they talk about that and they're trying to teach it at schools, but I do think that there's often a gene that you're just born with—that kind of you know that challenge and that that drive.
1: Yeah, uh, my my grandfather was an entrepreneur, and so growing up, he uh, he started like a, a gas station when he was younger, and then started like a shop with I think they sold like snowmobiles and four wheelers, and and so when I was younger, if we were sick, we got to go over to you know grandma and grandpa's house because they were entrepreneurs, which means they had ultimate control over their schedule, and so I grew up with. Kind of that as my role model, seeing what that looked like for my grandparents, and so I definitely think that helped shape my opinion of entrepreneurship and my interest in it. Yeah, and it's just something that uh, we pick up, don't
0: we? It's, as when I say we, I mean my parents were not entrepreneurs, but they, uh, you know, the value of hard work. We had to work for our pocket money, and those kind of things in, are instilled through observation. You know, and just the conversation around the the table, even though they may not realize that uh, yeah. as young, as we pick that up. You know, uh, I've just from the story that you've shared, from the journey across different um, businesses, and now, of course, with your franchise in your locations, a hundred staff. I mean, just thinking a hundred time, you know, times full time employees in and of itself is a a job just to manage that. And you say no one can ever prepare you for the emotional rollercoaster ride that embodies entrepreneurship. What's the greatest lesson you've learned along that, uh, that you may want to share with us, particularly now as businesses, many businesses around the world, what they've experienced? There's been challenges that no one could have ever foreseen in a business plan. What are some of the things that maybe you do as the CEO of your business to ensure that you maintain your own sanity and your oh, own you know, strength? Because that also trickles down to the team, too. You know, how the leaders are doing in the, their business is ultimately, even when we know it or not, or realize it or not, is going to trickle down to the rest of the organization, too. So, how do you look after you? Um,
1: <laughs> uh, you know, I. Uh, I, I like to read. I've actually for the first for the first time in months I actually was able to read a book last week which was nice, but you know, I as an adult I, I got divorced and after I got divorced I really kind of reestablished some great friendships and spending time with those friends, taking those breaks, I love to travel it is important, but I mean I work I mean I probably work 80 hours a week maybe more because part of my, my I guess, maybe mantra in a sense is I, I own the company. And so, you know, at the end of the day, everything falls on me. And if there's something that happens or there's a bunch of stuff that's really stressful, I don't want to be the one going home at five o'clock while, you know, an employee is staying there till 9 p.m. dealing with it because it doesn't feel fair to me. I mean, I'm the one that owns the company. I, you know, I'm making more than they are. So it just doesn't seem Fair to me, I guess, and so I think that I think one day it'll calm down. But we actually, we actually have about 170 full time employees. We, when we opened our other center about a year ago, uh, and then we've added a lot to our corporate office in the last six months. So we've we've been growing fast. <laughs> you know what I think is it's entrepreneurs and
0: and and business owners, especially with the the business that you're running and then have, have grown it to that size i mean that that in itself isn't it it's the drive that drives you i mean you just could not sit around and do nothing it's just not in your character in your na- nature but i guess it's realizing and you probably don't even realize do this. How do you problem solve challenges? As entrepreneurs, often we love those challenges because it keeps us up. In fact, when things, this is probably what happens. I bet I, this is what happens when things start to slow down a little bit and start to kind of hum, hum along. You go, I think I'm going to open another, another centre. That's kind of what happens, isn't it?
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I, I've definitely been the person that always keeps keeps their schedule busy, their cup full. If it gets a little low, it fills right up. And I mean, with with Tiara, you know, I, I told my staff last year, I was like, okay, I wanna open five five locations in 2021, which was five times that we had opened that year. So it was just like, what? That's a huge, and I mean, and I knew it was a big number, but we're opening three, we got a big part, you know? And so it's definitely that, I mean, it, I've gone from opening, you know, one after three years and then one, you know, two years later and then one a year later and then one a year later, now three this year. And our goal is 20, is 20 by the end of 2022 is what, what we're talking about. And so, uh, and that's corporate locations. So that doesn't count franchises. We have uh, franchisees as well that are opening. So we ch- hopefully will be close to like 30 or 35 by that point.
0: Yeah. But what you have said earlier on is Providing the foundations upon which you grow, you're not doing this all yourself. You've got these documented processes and procedures, and so you find that the rollout there's far more, you know, areas which you can predict. I mean, there's always challenges, isn't there? That 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 occurs, um, but you're able to better respond because you've been there before. And and I think there was someone who was talking about. Um, I can't even the topic. This is the this is the fourth interview so I'm I've reached my word quota almost at this time. But we was talking about intuition, and there's four different areas of intuition, but one of those intuition is actually learned. It's predetermined because it's intuition that's based upon previous experiences and what you've done before. And I'm sure because you've now had the opportunity to roll out different locations, each location is different, you know, that, you know, a 100 different people in your workplace, 100 different blends of personalities, it gets easier if that if that's the right term for it, each time because there's a certain amount of um, predictability.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah, no, and and that and that I think that's absolutely correct. I mean, each time we open a center, we learn how to do things differently, and I'll, I'll give you a funny example of that quick. Um, so I've been—I was actually the general contractor for a couple of our projects, and then now we outsource it. But you know, I'm very frugal, you know, and so we order the kitchen equipment and then. You know, they deliver, but I order it because I I don't want to pay, you know, the contractor upcharge on, you know, $30,000 of kitchen equipment. Well, with our Hiawatha location, we did that. The range arrives and this is like a 700 pound range and it has to go down two flights of stairs because the elevator wasn't complete. And my staff, like it, it was like they damaged the walls, they were stressed and it was like, all right, never again. From now on, architect include that in the scope, you know, because you learn like these things each time and it's just like, okay, let's let's do that differently. It might have worked that one time, but it didn't work this time and this yeah. isn't a good sustainable thing okay. for it. Well, that was a good lesson of what we're not going to do next time. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> that's, that's the whole you create, don't you? You create the blueprint, if you will, and you refine it by identifying all the things that not, that didn't work, that that, that can be improved. But isn't it interesting that um, you know from that now you've launched one and then one and then one and now you're doing three and then you've got this great big goal of uh, twenty, which is which is wonderful. But you've you've got that team to support you. What are some of the greatest lessons when it comes to team? Because it's a diff- one difference in having a of team to like having, you know, well over 100 and you were talking 170. What's the greatest insight you can share uh,
1: on, on that? Some of the things? You know, I think hiring a little earlier than you think um, and really taking the time to make sure that you pick the right fit and that onboarding is done well because, When you're, especially when you're small, I mean, so we have a lot of employees, but most of them are in the center. So our corporate office, you know, the behind the scenes people is only about 20 staff. And so if you hire the wrong fit, it will affect everybody. And if you hire somebody and you didn't plan very intentionally and thoughtfully about what that experience would be, especially for new positions, it's going to be a terrible way for them to start And so that's been a really big focus of us for the last year is, okay, let's, let's do better. Like, let's do better about onboarding new staff. Let's create like these very detailed onboarding plans that have have readings and other people. And we take them to lunch. you know, like, let's create that community, that education, that learning, that experience so that it's better for staff when they come in and then being intentional about the hires.
0: Yeah. And you know, the, the, um, the staff that are, The centre working in the centre, I'd imagine that you you still have similar principles because they are the staff that are client facing staff.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you Know what parents are like when it comes to their children. We are parents, and and so it it really is. And I've heard the term, and I'd love for you to your feedback on this: hire slow but fire fast.
1: Yes. Oh, I I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know. It's funny because I think when you have staff and you're looking at like you want to. So Fire and Fast, a, a lot of times people hesitate and we've hesitated because you're worried about the effect on morale. But the problem is, is if you have a toxic you know employee or an employee that isn't doing their job, it impacts so many other people. And then might cause them to leave because they're like, man, like I'm doing an amazing job, but I can't even do my job well because this person needs to get me this and they're not. Or I can't I'm not happy going into work because, you know, people are gossiping. And so really that that really rings true for my experience, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so
0: important. Mm. So, I mean, you've mentioned that uh, you've got the goal of uh, 20, 20 uh, centres. Are you, you know, I'm just thinking, was it a colleague or was it a mentor of mine? No, it was a colleague of mine that said, you know, sometimes when she enters her workplace, her staff kind of go, all right, what's she going to bring in? Is that kind of a, oh, what, what ideas is she going to bring they know when I've had a brainwave, it's like, so, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so I'm sure there's never a dull moment in,
1: in our workplace. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think I think definitely there's a little bit of that, but I also think that my staff know that I listen to them too. And so if they, you know, like the, the goal was five and they have three, I mean, I'm not, you know, like unreasonable. I don't. Yeah. I understand, you know, the realities. And so if they come to me and are like, "Ooh, you know, I think that's too many. Okay, perfect. What is a realistic number then? I mean, so I think an important part of that is just listening to your team and and respecting their input.
0: Yeah, And that really beautifully uh, validates what, just said you know get the right team in the right place I'm sure you've recognized your skill set and surrounded yourself with people who are going to complement that because you don't want to to have people in your team or on your team that are yes people that are not going to say well hang on Kristen how about this that didn't work so well and then together really make sure that whatever you propose to move forward with is going to give you the best possible outcome and deliverables yes
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, I think it's definitely important to have differing viewpoints on your team, especially in leadership, so that you hear, you know, you get the full perspective. And this has been really important, too, I think, with with the pandemic, with the different input on policies and everybody's different viewpoints, because it really engages in very healthy discussion to understand where different people are coming from so that you can see those perspectives and then understand what might be best to, you know, for the, I guess, for everybody.
0: Yeah. And create a culture, create an environment where your team feels, um, you know, the ability that they're able to without getting cut down. Because I think as a CEO, sometimes what can happen as a leader, if they feel that they're going to be judged or cut down or ridiculed, those suggestions are going to Aren't they? And that suggestion could just lead you down to some initiative that you would never have thought of that could really be, you know, g- generate some great success. Absolutely. And yeah, I agree with that completely. Yeah. Yeah. Terrific. Well, Kristen, it's been so wonderful to, uh, to get us uh, just a snapshot, I'm sure. We've just covered, you know, just covered the surface. I'm sure how do people find out more about the centers? Maybe they're located and didn't even hear about this. Um, how can they find out some more? dot uh, com. fantastic fantastic and any um any you know dreams and visions and mission of maybe international
1: <laughs> uh, or is it
0: 2023 know. or
1: 24 maybe? <laughs> um yeah you know that that is something that we've thought about uh but are not quite in the plan i mean there's so much room to grow in the united states that yeah. That's the focus and we do have other, I do have other things that we wanna do with other products and things like that. But right now, Tira, I think is the US focus right now. Well, thanks so much
0: for coming on the show and sharing uh, those insights. I mean, just fascinating. Congratulations for what you've done. And I'm sure the families who have the pleasure of being able to send their children to your centres, benefiting, and the kids, of course, too, which is, I know, the reason why you've done that. So thank you once again. Thank you so much for having me. This podcast is brought to you by the influencealliance.com. Want to influence real change with your message by becoming known as a trusted authority in your industry while building a sustainable and scalable business you love? Find out how by accessing our free podcast series at www.TheInfluenceAlliance.com slash podcast series. That's TheInfluenceAlliance.com slash podcast series.